everybody. Welcome to episode eight of the book Cougars, two middle-aged women on the hunt for a good read. I'm Emily. And I'm Chris. And we are coming at you from Guilford, Connecticut. It's a beautiful day here. I'm a happy camper because I got to get out on the water on my paddleboard oh, this morning. Oh, you did. Very I did. nice. I haven't been out since December. I miss it terribly. And um, I, did, I have to admit, I hopped up on it today and I was like, do I actually know how to do this? <laughs> so I was a little wobbly to start, but I had a great paddle, so awesome. um, that was really nice. And it's a little foggy. Was it foggy this morning? It was too? not. This Water just... was flat. Beautiful day. It looks great out there. And we have a lot to cover today, so we're going to hop yes, right we in. Um, we're, the first thing we have to talk about is kind of a cool thing. We got a, a nice shout out on another podcast called The Two Knit Lit Chicks. It's a a mom and daughter team, and um, they actually heard about us from our mutual friend, Jana, who's someone we met via Books on the Nightstand in Booktopia. Mm -hmm. She's going to come up more in our our, uh, recent Biblio adventures, yeah. Um, And so she told them about us, and this is a podcast where they talk about knitting, their big avid knitters, and books. Mm -hmm. Yeah, their first part is knitting, and then they do a book section right so I learned I don't knit but I I learned the things listening to them <laughs> and it's like a foreign language almost like exactly I was just like was oh man say. I have to write that down and look that up and ask my knitting friends about that I, these are the words I wrote down as I was listening spilly jane knitting knockers no I still don't know what that means um, they used words, they did use the word brioche, and I got mm-hmm. really excited when they said that, because that's a word I know, which is fancy <laughs> French bread, but I still don't know if that was like a, a type of knitting stitch, or a pattern, or a yeah. yarn. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> um, yeah, I agree, totally foreign language. Um, they are, They we have to up our game, though, you know, I noticed they give stuff away. Yeah, they do give stuff away. Which is kind of cool, mm-hmm. we have to think about that. <laughs> Um, on their web- website, they do note um, the time when they start talking about books. So I think if there are people who aren't knitters and just want to listen to the book part, you can. Mm-hmm. Um, but but then what they do at the end of the... So, so they talk about knitting for about half an hour, and they talk about patterns and yarns and what they're knitting. And, and projects, yeah. 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 And I liked that they admit when they have mistakes. Yeah. Or when they're they have difficulties and they give up and or have to unravel or unravel or just decide oh I haven't been working on that project for a while and I probably never will so it's just time to unravel it and move on I, I like that too yeah, yeah I thought it was really cool and um so then after they're done talking about knitting they talk about books they've read and then they talk about what they're currently reading and then they each do a thumbs up and a thumbs down. Mm-hmm. And we were on the thumbs up part yes, of, yes. of the book Cougars. Thank so you, that ladies. Was that was great to yeah. hear. It was such a pleasant yeah. surprise. Yeah, it was really nice. And then it cracked me up because the thumbs down for one of them was when your dog pees on your knitting bag. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Which is, that's a pretty bad one. Yes. So that cracked me up. Yes, so, it is. Um, yeah. So check them out. Two Knit Lit Chicks. And I found them on iTunes. I'm sure they're available on all of the various podcasting yeah. platforms. Or you can go to their website. So I found them on iTunes, yeah. 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 It was a fun listen. Yeah, it was great. All right, awesome. should we move on? Move on to, to Just Read. Yeah. yeah, Just Read is our, our first section here. And I did, I read the classic 1984. It was a reread for me, um, George Orwell's shocking book. Um, 
And I read it, like I think I've mentioned before, in high school. And when I started rereading it, I was kind of like right there again. Like I could remember reading some of the initial parts mm. when the, the main character, he, he has a journal. It's illegal to keep journals and even have writing utensils, it sounded like. So that took me right back. But then other things I had no memory of. Mm. Like what I thought was going to happen didn't happen. And then some scenes I completely did not remember. And so I'm wondering now, too, like, did the high school me even finish the book? <laughs> so, um, did you get the cliff notes? <laughs> <laughs> did they have them back then? I, I was such a lazy notes. student, I wouldn't yeah. have even bothered to yeah. do that, I don't think. Yeah. I think I've only used cliff notes once for crime and punishment. Okay. And then I felt terrible about doing that because when Jacob read it in high school, it was one of his favorite books of all time. So I was like, why did I? give up on that book yeah. But, yeah well cliff notes from my experience being a college english teacher i know cliff notes can be handy they can help students understand the text at a deeper level i do know of teachers who actually read the cliff notes and if they have essay questions or tests they build them with what's not included in those ah, notes tricky. to try and yeah. i was never that uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah i figured if a student doesn't re- want to read the book it's on them like right. i yeah. but uh yeah so i'm not totally anti cliff notes yeah but i i you know I think if you're, what's the point of reading the cliff notes other than just to get the grade or pass yeah, the class? Yeah, well, you have to pass the class yeah. or you're feeling overwhelmed because you have too much to read yeah. or something like that. 1984, <laughs> it was a really great, I think it held up really well. Obviously, very much in tune with the times that we're going through right now. A lot of things resonate. Mm, so yeah. I totally recommend it if you haven't read it or you want to reread it. Um, now is a great time. I don't think I read it. I don't think I ever read it in high school, and I know I haven't read it, you know, in mm-hmm. my adult years. So I should add that to my list. Yeah, and it's a quick read. It's yeah. a it's it's a quick read. It's painful at times, but it's required reading maybe for yeah. this administration. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I um, read the City Baker's Guide to Con- Country Living by Louise Miller. Um, it's it's a very sweet light little romance I shouldn't say it's a romance novel but there's romance in it and um, I'm realizing that there's a theme in books that I really enjoy which is restart stories mm-hmm. so this woman uh, the main character Olivia is a is a baker a trained baker from the Culinary Institute of America working at a schmancy restaurant in Boston and she inadvertently lights the restaurant on fire when she's carrying a flambéed bananas foster through the dining room. Um, so needless to say, she it's, it's a bit of a hard patch. And she has a friend that's living in um, Vermont in a, a lovely little town that I pictured to be a lot like Manchester, Vermont, where Northshire is located. And um, she ends up, Olivia ends up moving there and becoming a baker in a tiny little inn in the town. And um, I really enjoyed it. You know, it's not, there's not a whole lot that happens, Mm -hmm. but it was enough to keep me interested. And I love all of the food references. That always makes me excited when someone's talking about scones and pies and cakes and cooking, you know, lots of food. So... (laughs) So, The City Baker's Guide to Country Living by Louise Miller. Excellent. Well, my next one is a book that's coming out next week, actually. I got an advanced review copy of Patricia Cornwell's updated version of her Ripper book, Jack the Ripper. The new title, or the title of the updated edition is Ripper, 
The Secret Life of Walter Sickert. Mm. And Walter Sickert was a you know, well-known British artist. And, uh, you know, I know when her first... Uh, what was the title of her first run? I can't think of it now. Ripper, Case Closed or something. Jack the Ripper, Case Closed, I think maybe. Um, she got a lot of flack about it mm. for a variety of reasons. Um, she... And this book talks a little bit about how she got involved in the research for this. It was quite accidental in some ways. You know, she got hooked after having a tour of Scotland Yard, which she didn't really want to do. And she mentions, you know, when she's out traveling, she gets so many opportunities from law enforcement to come and see things. And she's like, you know, sometimes you're just exhausted. And what seems like a great opportunity is just like, you know, tiring because you're out right. doing a million things. Anyway, um, so she she went on that and, and just got hooked on this, the research. And she talks about how people do get kind of obsessed with the research, the documents that are still in existence over it. Mm. And so what she had done was, you know, she looked at the letters that were written, supposedly by Jack the Ripper. The police got tons of letters from mm. different people. And, you know, I think early on they thought that it was multiple people but since Walter Sickert was such a good artist, he was able to really disguise his handwriting. You know, he was so good, too, with write, such a good writer that he could actually write his name backwards in cursive and make it look, mm. you know, like mirror mm. image, I guess, of the writing it the right way, mm. which blows my mind. Yeah. I could barely write my name right. twice consistently. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, so she looked at the DNA that was available from the letters and from some of his painting and artwork. There was one paint. There was one story that talked about how she mutilated a painting to get DNA off of it, but that wasn't the case at all. She has document documentary evidence of the picture having come damaged. It arrived mm. damaged, and um, so she addresses some of the criticisms of her first book because some people thought she's way off base. This guy didn't do it you know, evidence points to all these other people who could have been Jack the Ripper and that she was just being obsessive, compulsive type thing. Mm -hmm. And she she talks now, she, I mean, she says, she kind of wishes she never stumbled upon this oh. because it's been such an obsession for her and she's sunk millions of dollars into it. Obviously, she's still into it to the point where she put out another book. This one is through, who's the publisher? Thomas and Mercer, which is an Amazon imprint. And I had, and it's a beautiful book. Let me say that. Yeah. It is a multicolored text. It's black with some red text. Lots of wonderful uh, photographs and uh, replications. Awful photographs. Let me point that out too. Like if you're a woo, uh, get queasy looking at pictures of dead bodies, this might not be the book for you. Yeah, I won't be opening it. Yeah, there are actual <laughs> morgue photographs of some of the victims. So it's nonfiction. It's nonfiction. Okay. Yes, yeah. it's an investigation into all of the evidence she has pointing towards Walter Sickert, okay. and she is not the first person to claim he was Jack the Ripper. There were a couple other investigators who came before her, who thought that he could have been Jack the Ripper. Huh. So, she sums up by saying, basically, we'll probably never know who Jack the Ripper really was, hmm. because there is. You know, so much of the evidence was lost. But um, what's interesting, one of the things I liked about it is if you're into the 19th century, she talks a lot about police investigative techniques and also police tools. Like there's um, one of the iconic images of 19th century 
policeman. You see that this is a picture of a a police officer carrying one of these lanterns. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. a very kind of iconic image, and she and they were known as bull eye lanterns. But so Cornwell actually got a, her hands on one of these nineteenth century lanterns and experimented with it. Wow! And and how hot the lantern got, and it has a flame in it. It's an open flame. And it didn't cast much light at all. Hmm. So these are that was the new technology that cops were using then. And looking at it now, she said, holding her hand in front of it, like six six inches in front of it, she could barely make out her hand. Hmm. You know, where some of those images from the nineteenth century make it look like it was this bright light, right? You know, like a and modern they can day see flashlight, everything that, yeah. and all the evidence and all that. Yeah. So, so, but this is the Patricia Cornwell that is a fiction writer. Yes, right? she writes yeah. a lot. Yeah, she of does fiction. the uh, okay. K. Scarpetta series. Okay. Um, oh, a lot of nineteenth century medical stuff in here too, horrifying stuff mm. about how they operated on people. Because one of the things about Sickert is he had a fistula. Which I hadn't, yeah, known about them. But apparently they were a big thing in the 19th century. People were born with them or they developed them. And Charles Dickens had one. Hmm. He developed one, they thought, due to his, you know, excessive sitting as a writer. Hmm. So um, if you're into... make you kind of crazy. Yeah, if you're into history... it's a good read. And you want to read all about fistulas? Yeah. We're just kidding. Yeah. I tell you, that made me squeam. Squeam? Yeah. Squeamish. Squeamish, yeah. 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 That made me scream. Or it made you scream. I'm not <laughs> yeah. sure which. Uh, it's just, it's really, it's fascinating stuff. So if you're into true crime, history, it might be one you want to check out. And again, that is Patricia Cornwell, Ripper, The Secret Life of Walter Sickert. And it comes out February 28th. Sounds a little too creepy for me, yeah. but I'm glad you liked it. Oh, creepy. Don't read it before bedtime. <laughs> I made that mistake. I was stupid. You didn't sleep well. <laughs> no. Well, my next book is called The Mothers. It's by Britt Bennett. who It's a debut novel. The woman was 17 when she started writing it. She was 25 when it was published. She's been named one of the five under 35 promising debut novelists by the National Book Foundation. I loved this book. It was a five-star read for me. Full disclosure, I have mother issues. (laughs) I think if you don't have any mother issues at all in your life, maybe you won't identify quite as much with this book. But um, I I thought the book was rich on so many levels, so many layers, that um, I, I kind of couldn't believe how young this woman is. And the thing I love about reading debut authors is you just think, oh, the what's the road ahead that we all have mm. to get to read her writing hopefully I mean I just can't wait to read more of her writing she has been published um her essays her nonfiction essays have been published quite a bit and she she really got noticed for a, an essay that she wrote that was in Jezebel called I don't know what to do with good white people which was um an essay essentially she, I have not read it it's it's on I, I will try to find it and and put it in the show notes if it's available online but um she's someone who grew up in southern california and kind of was stuck in a community she didn't want to live in which was something i could relate to (laughs) and um and and you know that that's the character but that's also there's a lot of autobiographical aspects to this novel when i was reading about brit bennett i could see like oh this novel's a little autobiographical mm-hmm. so eventually she got out and went to university of michigan which is a very 
white school in, you know, the middle of the state of Michigan. And so I'm, I'm pretty sure that this essay has to do with that, you know, like white people who mean well, but that when she moved there, she had a lot of struggles about what it meant to be an African-American who came from a town in, in I think it was south of L.A., that had quite a diverse population to mm-hmm. this school that was not very diverse, but where white people maybe thought they were being, you know, in touch with, with how to talk to somebody of a different culture, but maybe weren't doing it well. I don't know. I'm, I'm interested in reading it. But so anyway, she got noticed for that. But this is um, her first published work of fiction, and it, it follows three core characters, two women, Nadia and Aubrey. Actually, they're teenagers when the book begins. And then a, a mutual love that they both have of a character named Luke. Hmm. And... At the, and there's also this overarching um, narrators that are referred to as the mothers. And it all revolves around these characters and also a church called The Upper Room, which cracked me up. I loved that <laughs> title of a church. But, um, and there's an abortion that takes place very early on in the novel, so that's not really a spoiler. Mm-hmm. But so it talks a lot about um, choices that we make, you know, in life. And um, both of these young women, Aubrey and Nadia, have um, distance from their mothers for two, ver- two very different reasons. But so that's how kind of why they befriend each other. Mm-hmm. So the novel deals a lot with loss and how we make decisions and how those Im- decisions impact our future and how able we are to, um, you know, make changes in our life versus kind of settling for things in our lives Mm -hmm. and then you know overarching through all of this are relationships that we have and the core what I call primal relationship we have in our lives has to do with our mother Mm -hmm. so there's a lot it's very rich in all of that I feel like and as I said when I was reading it I thought I cannot believe how young this woman is you know who's writing this book and there's also this part where she when she decides to have an abortion her mother had her when she was very young so there's also a part where she's identifies with you know that she and her mother chose made very different choices Mm -hmm. and how then the opportunities they had in their lives were very different because of those choices so there so and then there's one other part of the book that I thought was interesting because I just read um hillbilly elegy you know we talked I talked about that on the last podcast so there's also this little theme of you know people who um, are able to, I, I don't want to use, maybe escape is too strong of a word, because it wasn't as if she was living a bad life, but who choose to step out of the life that they're in and have, um, and broaden their horizons mm-hmm. in a way by going off to college. And um, that's what the character Nadia ends up doing. But then when you come back to the hometown you were raised in, you know, a lot of things haven't changed for the people that are there. Yeah. But she had changed so much just from her life experience and knowledge you know education Mm -hmm. so I just I loved every minute of this book I mean I actually had a hard time finishing it because I didn't want to finish it you know I didn't want to leave the characters behind yeah Yeah. Yeah. I haven't read a book like that in a long time and I had a little bit of disappointment with the ending Mm. but interestingly I when I went and read reviews of the book afterwards they, there was an interview with her, and she talks about how she really struggles with endings. And I was like, oh, I, I can see that, yeah, you know? Yeah. So I was sad to see the characters go. I'm still thinking about them. The book is called The Mothers by Britt Bennett.
Well, since last time I did finish Macbeth, I think on the last podcast I said I was finishing it that day. I did a combination of reading and an audio version, and then John, Valerie, and I got together and had a great discussion about it. It's our master's calendar reading challenge. Um, and I, well, I was really kind of struck by how much it's a psychological murder mystery in a lot of ways. Mm. And it made me really wonder, like, if Shakespeare were alive today, what kind of books would he be writing? Mm. And, and I was just struck by how much of the, the emphasis was on the emotional, ter- emotional impact that the murder had on the characters the psychological impact mm. and the how it deteriorated mm. them emotionally and and, not, and we're not interested in that anymore <laughs> in this mm-hmm. day and age like murder mysteries are usually more about adventure or psycho you know twisted psychology between people mm. and so it just made me wonder like what would Shakespeare be writing today well, that's a you good know? question so yeah. really enjoyed it I'm happy to have to have read it and did you like the audio that you? I did. It was neat. I mean, it was it was good to do a combination read and listen because I couldn't always tell who was talking, and that could have been. I, it just didn't get planted in my mind early on the voices when I first started listening because mm-hmm. I was washing the dishes and kind of cleaning the kitchen and stuff. So maybe I wasn't fully listening. Um, so it was it was helpful, but it was a great it, it, um, version. It was multiple actors. Oh, fun! So that yeah, and. Uh, and it was uh, a nice addition. What can I say? Yeah, yeah. that's great. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Your first one down. Yeah, next up is uh, Sense and Sensibility oh, for February. That was our January read. Right. February is yeah. Jane Austen. Well, you have four days or something left. Yeah, so. I'm starting it today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Actually, I mean, I, I started. John got this really kind of cool edition that's based on a. I don't remember what edition it's based on, but it's two columns per page. Oh, And it's nicely illustrated and stuff, so that's the one we're reading. Nice. Yeah. So you mean you both got a copy of it? Yeah, we both got the same. Like, I I picked out the Macbeth edition, and I used the Barnes & Noble edition. I don't know if I mentioned that. Yeah. Which is really great. It had wonderful textual notes and great footnotes to clarify the text and give you a little historical background. Nice. And it was, like, under $8, I think, too. So I picked up... A copy for both of us mm-hmm. that day, and then he did the same with Fun. this. So yeah, yeah it's nice cool. to have the same text yeah. to, to yeah. you know, flip to the same page and talk about a scene or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You guys are so smart. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun to rub shoulders with yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. Just saying that you've read Shakespeare, like yeah. it, it makes your IQ go up in right, other people's right. eyes. So carrying an edition of Macbeth around with you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's all. I haven't read anything else. What about you? I read, I did read The Vampire. Oh, good. And then that's technically, it's a short story um, by John William Polidori. And that was published in 1819. And it is considered the first vampire story that establishes the romantic type vampire um, character who is an aristocratic character. Right. Okay, Polidori, the guy who wrote it, was actually Lord Byron's physician. And I don't know if you've heard this story, but supposedly one dark and stormy night in the early 1800s, Lord Byron, Polidori, Mary Shelley, and uh, Percy Shelley were all stuck in Geneva during, you know, rain for days. And they developed, they, they said, let's, I guess horror stories were the rage at the time. And they said, hey, let's all write a horror story 
or let's each write a horror story and then, you know, share them with each other just to kind of kill the time because they're all writers. And they did that. And so the vampire came out of that experience. And for the longest time, the authorship of it was in question. And some people attributed it actually to Lord Byron. Um, but eventually it, they, you know, Polidori, I guess, claimed ownership of it. And it's been proven that it is his. He did write other things. But Mary Shelley, her story, Frankenstein, came out of that competition that they set up for each other. That's awesome. Isn't that neat? And if you haven't read Frankenstein, that's a great book. It's not what most people think it is. It's not the movie version of the creature. It is more about Frankenstein, the doctor, and the philosophical implications of fucking around with nature and science and mm. and things like that it's mm. a it's a fabulous book mm. so anyway the vampire is really cool read i enjoyed it very much i downloaded it for free from project gutenberg there is also a librivox audio version that i i was kind of trying to listen to in my car but it kept like fading out hmm. like I, so i don't know if i just didn't download it properly or something but so that I didn't really listen to more than like two or three snippets of it. Um, but what was cool about this short story is part of it made me think of Pride and Prejudice because you have the initial scene where uh, Lord Rutherford, who's the vampire character, comes into this party looking kind of like haughty and, you know, noble and everything. And it made me think of that scene in Pride mm-hmm. and Prejudice when Darcy comes in and mm-hmm. people think, oh, you know, how... He looked. And then there's also one of the things about uh, Lord Rutherford is he preys on women who are innocent and pure. And that made me think of Dangerous Liaisons. Mm. I haven't read the book Dangerous Liaisons. Mm -hmm. um, And that came out in 1782 and was popular. It was a French writer. Um, But that was all about, like, the corruption of innocence and virtue and using seduction as revenge. Mm. Not that the vampire is using seduction as revenge, but he's obviously using it to get what he needs. But he preys upon innocent, virtuous women. Mm. So it made me think of both of those books, and I just wonder, like, what the connections could be, or if it was just things in the air. During that time period. During that time period, yeah. Because it was, well, Dangerous Liaisons was pre- French Revolution, anyway. Yeah. So, and that's a great movie. I don't know if you ever saw I that with that movie. Michelle Pfeiffer, John Malkovich, and Glenn Close. Yeah. And I want to watch it again. I, I watched it a couple times, and that was like in the late '80s. That movie came out. Yeah. That was a wicked film. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So again, cool. that was The Vampire by John William Polidori. And that was Vampire with a Y instead of an yes. I, right? Yeah. V a m p y r e. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Good reading. Next up, we're talking about what we're currently reading. Yeah, I just started Kindred by Octavia Butler. Oh, cool. Which is another one that people are kind of talking about as a good read right now um, in reference to our political times. Mm -hmm. Um, Admittedly, I thought, I think of this book as a classic, Mm -hmm. but it was published in 2004. I thought it was really, really old. I yeah. don't know why. Well, I she's been that. writing for a long time. Maybe yeah. you got it mistaken with one of her earlier her ones. Her older maybe. ones. That could yeah. be. Yeah. So I just started it, and I'm really enjoying it. It's a, it's um, it's billed as a sci-fi novel, but I've been told don't let that discourage you from 
picking it up if you think you're not a sci-fi reader. Mm-hmm. I don't read a lot of sci-fi, so... Um, but I've, I mean, it, it has to do with some time travel, so I think that's why it's been classed that way. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm, I'm enjoying it so far. So more to come on that. All right, excellent. Yeah. Well, I'm reading, I just started Brown Girl Dreaming uh, by Jacqueline Woodson. I have the library book, it's a, um, and I know you and Russell recommended the audio yeah, version. So I, love I might try book. and get my hands on that as yeah. well. I actually would do both again. I would read it and listen to the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Just because I think I never got to pick up the book and see, since it's kind of written in verse, Yeah, you know, it would have been interesting to read it as well. So I, I yeah. might do that. Yeah. yeah, and don't let the verse thing, listeners, don't let that scare you because it's not, it's not like poetry right. that is hard and dense and, yeah. you know, it's like it's really lyrical, beautiful, flowy language yeah 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 it doesn't you know it's it's not like reading a poem at all it's yeah. definitely like reading a novel it's just written in, in, in verse yeah yeah <laughs> yeah oh fun yeah, so I'm, I'm so I'm glad you're reading that. that yeah and then well I've read a couple lines of Sense and Sensibility so oh good <laughs> right that's yeah and that's Jane Austen yes correct? Jane Austen yeah, yeah. yeah it'll be my third Jane Austen because I read Persuasion two years ago and then last year Pride and Prejudice Okay. Which I got in trouble with my wife because I didn't list it as my top ten. Oh, but I kind of considered it more of even though I hadn't read the book actually, I had I remember starting it many moons ago. I kind of felt like it was a reread in so many ways because I've seen so many adaptations. Yeah, I've listened to the audio version. You know, so you, you know. mean she wanted it to be a top ten of yeah. last year or of your lifetime. Uh, uh, well, at least of last year, because it's like her like favorite book. That's so well, funny. Well, I shouldn't say it's her favorite book. It's one of her top okay. books. And, yeah. you know. Yeah. No pressure. So, you need to like it as much as me. <laughs> well, you know, it is one of those things like, like my, it's going to be interesting to try and do a top ten list of all time of your life. Yeah. I can't. I can tell you right now, I'm not playing that game. Come it was on. already hard Okay, let me get my gun out. <laughs> All right, Emily. <laughs> I mean, I had a hard time. I had to cheat to do top 10 for 2016. Like, no, not playing that game. I know people who, who do, and I know people who, they're so in touch with their top 10 that mm-hmm. things, they they could actually read a book that would make something else drop off their top 10, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Like, this is a new, I just, I, yeah, no, wow. I can't. I might make myself do that next for next time. Try and pick top ten. Okay. I, I would love to hear your top yeah. ten. That would make me very happy. <laughs> uh, interesting, interesting exercise. I wonder yeah. if I've ever done that before. Probably have. You know, like my top, well, Dracula is always going to be up there, but right. I think a lot of the times it depends on my mood. Exactly. And what's going on in my life. Yeah. 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 You could have a top ten for this week. I would I would commit to that. Top ten for this week yeah. of all time, but it might change. Mm-hmm. So. Well, the other book that I'm currently reading is one that I picked up on our Biblio Adventures that we'll be talking about soon, and it's um, a book of essays called Best Food Writing of 2016. This is right up my alley, and I have to admit, when I finished um, The Mothers, it was one of those reads for me where I was like, oh, what am I possibly going to read next, you know? And then I remembered that I had just bought this book, and I picked it up, and um, this woman, the editor of the book, is Holly Hughes. And so, you know, each of the, the essays is written by somebody else. And they've all been published in lots of different um, places, from Food and Wine magazine to lots of the um, 
websites now like food52.com and stuff. And so there are tons and tons of different essays. She's been putting out this collection since 2000. I can't believe that, mm -hmm. which means I have a lot of reading to do. But So I was trying to figure out which essay to start with, and I came across one that was called Why Serious Bakers Have Mother Issues, <laughs> which, of course, I could not not read. So, But it was great because it's actually about um, the mother, which I don't know if you're not a baker, you don't know that sourdoughs and stuff like that start with a starter that's called the mother mm -hmm. and serious bakers like the mother is a big fucking deal i mean they you know they've had them for like 25 years they've been feeding their mothers that's amazing. You know? yeah. yeah yeah and um, i mean the restaurant i used to work at we would close do a two-week shutdown every year and someone still had to go every day and feed the mother wow. you know yeah. so so it was a great essay. I loved it. It was the perfect kind of palate cleanser after reading The Mothers. I felt like, okay, now I can dive back into another book. Mm -hmm. And um, this is going to be on my nightstand for months to come. I'm just going to really enjoy it and read it, you know, an essay at a time. And it's also already created trouble with just that one essay. I added three new restaurants that I need to go to in New York the next time I'm there. So, nice. um, with these fantastic breads made by these, you know, bakers and their delicious mothers. Yeah. So, so the food right best food writing 2016 edited by Holly Hughes. Very cool. I love that best of. I you know it originally started with like the best fiction, mm -hmm. but then I think they added the yeah. nonfiction and then mysteries and travel and cooking, short and stories, short stories, yeah. and yeah. non-required reading. For yeah, a, yeah, a cool series. Yeah, yeah, I just am really loving it. Shall Excellent. we move on to Biblio Adventures? Yeah, because that was currently reading, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so we're done with that. Yeah, Biblio Adventures. Man, I, we were busy. We were busy, girls. Yep. So I I think I'm going to start with um, an adventure that I took by myself because my book cougar, fellow book cougar, couldn't go with me, but I was sad. You would have <laughs> loved this. I went to see Brunonia Berry at RJ Julia. She wrote The Lace Reader and then this is the um, a, a follow-up or continuation to the Lace Reader called The Fifth Petal. And it's about witches in Salem. It's a fictionalized version of witches in Salem. But she's done a lot of research, and she's also a descendant wow, of cool. a woman who was hung. Oof. Yeah. Well, that's not cool. No, that's not cool. Okay. Yeah. She was very interesting, very compelling to listen to. And she did a little bit of reading out of The Fifth Petal, but then she brought her husband along, and he was adorable, and they had a um, computer set up and a projector, and she did a slideshow of Salem, Massachusetts, and really showed us you know, a lot of the highlights of Salem, which made me think of you, of course, yeah. because of all of the history there. Yeah. Well, I, mom, my mom and I went to Salem last time she was in town, oh, okay. uh, last fall it was. Yeah, it was right around Halloween. Parking was crazy. Well, she said, don't yeah. go near Halloween. That <laughs> yeah. was the one yeah. one morning yeah. she issued. We scored good parking, amazingly enough. But um, it's a great, yeah, great city. Yeah, I really want to yeah. go. She said that um, Chestnut Street, which I guess is one of the main streets in town, that um, Eleanor Roosevelt declared it the prettiest street in America. Hmm. So yeah. that was an interesting, interesting little fact. Yeah. So she was filled with all sorts of facts about Salem, about her book. She told a very interesting publication story. When she first came out with The Lace Reader, she and her husband decided to self-publish it. 
And it was during the time when a lot of people were starting to self-publish and self-published books didn't have a very good reputation. Mm-hmm. And But they started their own imprint. So they put an imprint name on it. So it looked a little bit more official, I guess, than yeah. just, you know, having it printed with an espresso book machine or something. And um, and someone, people started to come to her because they wanted to buy the option it for a movie. And then when they found out it was self-published, they were like, no, we don't want to deal with you. Can we get you an agent and get you a publisher? And she was like, sure, you know. <laughs> so she tells this story of the weekend after that happening. She and her husband literally locked themselves in the house. with, And she said they had boxes and boxes from pizza they ate all weekend because they got all these offers. Oh. And the, it was, they got, she got an agent, she got a publisher, it was optioned, it still has yet to be made into a movie, but she thinks what's going to happen now that the fifth pedal came out, she she thinks there was too much meat in the Lace Reader to be made into like a two hour movie, mm-hmm. she thinks now that the fifth pedal came out, it's probably going to be serialized, like mm-hmm. they're doing now more, like yeah. Big Little Lies no. just yeah. came out, you know, on, on Showtime or HBO, mm-hmm. that's the Leanne Moriarty book, Big Little Lies. Yeah. And she thinks it's going to end up being something like that. Mm-hmm. So so anyway, she talked about that. She showed um, pictures of, you know, where the people were hung from trees, which was really disturbing mm-hmm. and sad. She talked about the book. Didn't you just talk about the book, um, If Trees Could Talk or The Story of Trees? Or yeah, there's like a that? tree book. Yeah. I can't think of the name of it right now. Talk. She talked about that <sighs> book and she said... Um, I just bought that book. I know. What the heck? We'll I can't think of the name of it. We'll put yeah. it in the show notes, yeah. Because I think it might already be in a past show note. Because I know you talked about it. I did talk about yeah. it, yeah. Because I yeah. bought it recently. Yeah, she talked mm-hmm. about how um, she believes that trees are mediators between the living and the dead. Mm-hmm. So she talked about how they talked about the or they this book that that talks about trees talks about the root systems and how they connect to other thing living things and all of that mm-hmm. so i thought that was interesting and made me think of you and in the stone wall book too mm-hmm. trees play an important mm-hmm. role in stone walls and their yeah. stability or yeah. lack thereof yeah the roots yeah anyway yeah. sorry sidebar so should we talk about stone walls again <laughs> yeah you know but let me just say to people i talked on and on and on about that stone wall book like i think it was like 15 minutes of talking and like i edited it down to what eight minutes <laughs> I was, even when I was listening to it, I was like, oh, my God, Chris, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> it was interesting, yeah. though. I'm glad, I you, I'm glad you read that I think book. about it all the time. I'm glad you read it. That's great. And I'm glad you shared it with us. <laughs> so anyway, I really enjoyed her. I, I probably will read The Fifth Petal at some time because I really enjoyed The Lace Reader. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I want to get to Salem, Mass. That's now on my list. Yeah, totally. I yeah. want to go back, too. We can yeah. totally I would love to do, do that. Because yeah. it's... Um, Just not around Halloween. N- yeah, not around mm-hmm. Halloween. Uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne's House of the Seven Gables is there. And his family was involved in the witch trials as well. And that's mm-hmm. a guilt that infused a lot of Hawthorne's writing. Oh, is the guilt over that. Yeah, that so... Yeah, yeah, it's a great... And there was a little Harry Potter shop, like a Harry Potter wand shop that we went into. Oh, fun. That they had wands and, you know, some other Harry Potter paraphernalia. It was a pretty small shop, but cool. Cool wands. I mean, they're supposed to be really neat shops. And she said there are five libraries in town. Oh, so that. I'd like to explore yeah. that. So there yeah, was a we'll big art museum as well that we walked yeah. past and some good restaurants. We ate at a really cool place. Yeah. And a little, right. there's a little indie bookstore there, too. I'm I'm sniffing an upcoming yeah. adventure. I actually bought a book. I can't remember the name of the independent bookstore there. I apologize for that. But one of the books I purchased there was, like, it was 
literary travels around the North Shore area. Mm. Mm. So we could, you know, kind of use that yeah. as a guidebook and scope out some other yeah. things too. Yeah, excellent. Let's yeah. do it. All right. And then I don't. Do you have anything between that and going to no? All my biblio adventures this time around are all about that day in New York. Okay. So so maybe I should start with Colson Whitehead and yep. George Saunders mm-hmm. then. So we we had a joint jaunt to New York, but I went the day before Chris. Two days actually, right? No, no, just the night before. Yeah, Yeah. Thursday. Yeah, yeah. And I met up with some of our Booktopia friends. I met up with Jen and Jana and Diane, and we had a lovely little dinner at a place called Lucy's Way. W H E Y. I love that name. It's a cheese shop. Um, had a little bite to eat, and then we went to the Ninety Second Street Y and saw Colson Whitehead and George Saunders. Um. I have very mixed reviews about this mm-hmm. literary adventure. Yeah. I, ha- I Full disclosure, though, the last time I was at 92nd Street Y, we were seeing Roxane Gay. So that's a tough act to follow because that was a very special event and special evening, as we talked about yeah. on a prior um, episode. Another full disclosure, and people who know me, particularly the person I was sitting next to at this event, Jana, knows that I don't like to be read to by authors it's not my favorite thing if I go to hear to an author event I don't mind if they read for a little bit but I'm really there because I want to learn something new or interesting about them Mm -hmm. so um the setup this this event was billed as a conversation between George Saunders and Colson Whitehead and they're both heavy hitters with new books out so to me to bring two heavy hitters into an auditorium where each of them could fill the auditorium it made sense, like, oh, they're going to talk about something, mm-hmm. you know. And, and I, I was interested in why they paired those two up. That was an interesting thing for me, too. And what ended up happening is, unlike the Roxane Gay event we went to, when which had two kind of comfy chairs and she was in conversation with someone, we walked in and there was a podium on the stage. So right away I knew it was going to be a different setup. And what ended up happening is um, a woman came out and introduced um, George Saunders, and he read for half an hour from his new book, Lincoln in the Bardo. Wow. And I'm not exaggerating, people. I looked at my watch. And it was interesting because the, one of the big people, first of all, this is George Saunders' first um, novel. He's written short stories for years, and he's also written nonfiction essays and things. But the big news about this novel is that um, the, the um, audio version of it has, I think, 160 different readers it's either 106 or 160. It's wow. insane amount of readers. Yeah. So there's lots of different characters, and he's put a voice to all of the characters. And so when he came out and read from Lincoln and the Bardo, he was doing some voices, and he was really good. Yeah. So it's not as if he wasn't a good reader. I mean, sometimes I don't like to listen to authors read because they're not great at it. Right. You know? yeah, not. He was excellent. It was just like, enough already. You know, I want to hear something else about you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he went off stage and someone else came to introduce Colson Whitehead, who we didn't even know who this person was. Oh. I mean, he was an author of some kind, but he didn't introduce himself. Oh. So that was kind of odd. And then Colson Whitehead came out and read from the Underground Railroad for half an hour. And then George, and he was also a good, good reader. And they're both funny. That's one thing that was kind of interesting about them. They're both really funny, which mm-hmm. was fun to hear that part of them, their personalities come through. But then George Saunders came back out on stage and then someone else came and they had taken questions from the audience that we could write down 
and they asked, uh, I think, three or four questions, and each of them kind of, they stood kind of awkwardly by each other and came to the podium and talked and answered the questions. So weird. It was very odd. Yeah. I still don't get it. I don't get it. Yeah. It sounds like a bad negotiation. (laughs) Yeah. From my years of experience with book events at Borders, a lot of authors think a newer authors think that's what you do because I think that that's the old-fashioned way of reading yeah. your book or traditionally, you know, you'd have a book signing the day the book was released mm-hmm. so no one had read it. So they might read a little bit to give you a flavor of the book mm-hmm. to entice you to buy it yeah. or just to let you know yeah. kind of the vibe of the book. Uh, but to do that, that just seems so odd to have a reading go on for a half an hour. Yeah. Well, and the other thing I will say is since, you know, Jana and I were the first ones to buy tickets to this event, and we bought them in August, mm-hmm. I think. And since then, Colson Whitehead's book won the National Book Award. I mean, he's gotten a lot of press and praise. And so I, I think that they knew that the book signing lines, he was going to be signing books for an hour and a half mm-hmm. or something, you know. So I think that maybe there was a little rush to end it and just... I don't know. It was just yeah, an just odd a, event. Yeah, yeah, that seems odd. It seems yeah. like, I mean, we were speculating all the reasons yeah. why it could happen. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, yeah. making up stories about yeah. things. But it just seems, I've, I've never heard of an event that they do it that yeah. way. It just sounds like maybe they didn't get along or. I know. I mean, like, we, we made up all these stories that they'd had an argument beforehand. And <laughs> they didn't want to talk to each they other. They were just really. deigning to be on the same stage. <laughs> the, you know, anyway. Well, I mean, the whole vibe in there was much different. Like the Roxanne Gay one was so open and, you know, first of all, it was open seating. You know, it wasn't assigned seating, whereas this one we had seat assignments. Oh, interesting. Um, the Roxanne Gay, we all had our phones out. We were taking pictures. You know, when the when George Saunders first came out, I took I had my phone up to take a picture, and the one of the um, people, what do you call those people, ushers, mm-hmm. came and literally almost swatted my hand. She wow. was like, "No pictures!" I'm like, ah, okay, wow. you know. So it was just there was just a different feeling mm-hmm. of, in, in the entire event. So I mean, and that could come from their publicist. I mean, who knows? You don't but, know yeah. exactly. You yeah. really don't yeah. know what the. The background is. Right. We're just making up stories. Yeah, we're making them. up stories. We they could be bosom buddies yeah, for all we yeah, know. No yeah. idea. And um, and there was, an, I, so another, the thing, the only sadness for me was I don't feel like I learned much about either of them. Mm-hmm. And they're both very interesting people that I would have liked to learn more about. Yeah. But the one thing about um, George Saunders that I didn't know is that he somehow was on the Trump campaign for a period of time during the campaign. And he wrote a piece that's been published in the New Yorker about it that I have not. So he was following had, it. Yeah. Writer. He was li- yeah, literally on the campaign okay. for on the campaign, on the campaign trail, trail with okay. them for a period of time. Hmm. And he, at one point he said, can I get political for just a minute? And everyone was like, sure. You know? And he said, um, you know, this book that he just wrote, Lincoln in the Bardo is about, is based on the true story of Lincoln's 11-year-old son that passed away. Mm-hmm. And the I believe the whole book takes place in a cemetery, in and, in and around a cemetery or something. And, and he died while Lincoln was in the White House. Right, like, while, while he was, he was president. president. Yeah. yeah. And so he said it was really interesting to have been, he went on the campaign trail after he'd finished this book, and he said it was really interesting to have learned so much about President Lincoln and to watch how his empathy grew during his presidency Mm -hmm. and then to hop on the Trump campaign trail and see how Trump's empathy seemingly was shrinking Mm -hmm. as he was on the campaign trail. And I thought that was a really interesting comparison. Yeah. Very good point. Yeah. 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 Wow. 
So anyway, I'm glad that I got to see them and hear them, mm-hmm. but I was a little disappointed, mostly with just the layout, the, the format mm-hmm. of the event. Yeah. You know, so, so that was... So. The first evening of our adventure in New York yeah. City, and then you hopped the train Friday I morning. the train, and uh, yeah, we met, uh, I met Kate at Grand Central, yeah. and we walked over and met you all uh, at the Morgan Library and Museum, mm-hmm. and got to see the beauty of that library, and, and, and then we toured the Emily Dickinson exhibit, which is right. uh, recently opened there, Yeah, and that was totally fascinating. I love Emily Dickinson, and yeah. It was smaller. I had never been to the Morgan Library, so that we started by just touring the main part of the library, which you've done before. So you were generous with your time to let us you all know tool around. You, I could just go to that library every month and yeah, just sit there and bask in the gorgeousness of it. Yeah, yeah. it's a beautiful library. And then I think like the top floor was the Emily Dickinson exhibit. Yes, it was yes. smaller than I thought it was going to be. The exhibit was. Yeah, yeah. but it was it was nice. Mm-hmm. And my favorite part was they had some pictures. And they had them in these things that they called, um, I don't know how to pronounce Daguerreotypes? it. Yeah, yeah. Daguerreotypes. Yeah, Daguerreotypes. Yeah. And then also fascicles, 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 which are these hand-sewn manuscript booklets. Mm-hmm. They had some of those, which I thought was really cool, Yeah. which made me wonder if that's where chat books come from, because those are like little poetry books that are... Yeah, well, I guess like she made kind of her own, you know, oh, with her, because okay. she was, I know uh, she did a lot with rewriting her poems and binding them together like that. Like when she passed away, her family had no idea of the amount of poetry she had oh. socked away, supposedly. Um, oh. But yeah, she put them together in yeah. those little books. And, yeah, you know. so I enjoyed that more than some of the stuff that was, you know, flat, like her writing. It was mm-hmm. it was cool to see it in her hand. Yeah. But I didn't I didn't have the you know the energy because it was also kind of crowded it was yeah to um really read a lot of it but i mean i read some of it but i really did enjoy the exhibit yeah we were there on a it was friday so it was kind of busy friday of a holiday weekend which i didn't put together but But it was neat yeah there were a lot of letters to her from her Mm -hmm. some of her poems so you could see her punctuation which was very unique Mm -hmm. and early editions of her work that were published gave the poem standardized punctuation or what the editors thought was kind of what she was trying to say, which completely changed the meaning of things. Right. And I know one of the cool things at her house up in Amherst, Massachusetts, they have an exhibit there where you can flip over different word choices that she used and see how it changes the meaning of the poem. Cause she did that a lot. You know, you mm. see her crossing out a word and putting another word and just, how, you know, you can see a poet's mind working to find just the right word that's and how nice. it alters the meaning of the line and the whole poem. And yeah. I think that's fascinating. My mind just doesn't think that way. I'm, yeah. I don't have a poet's mind at all. Well, and they use, they're so succinct and use such, so few words. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, so that was really fun. I'm glad that I finally got to the Morgan and I enjoyed yeah. that exhibit. And they had, they had the, the photograph of her, which is the only known photograph of her. And then they had the one that was discovered recently that they think could be her. Right. 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 Yeah. 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 Because the one that's um, well known, she's really young. Yeah. She's like a teenager, right? Yeah. 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 I am glad we did it. And so then we. Then we hopped a bus to to lunch. We had lunch at Otto. Otto. Which is a Mario Batali restaurant. It was delish. Yes, it was yummy. We had pizza, salad, whatever. Like, we all had different things and shared things. Yeah. 
And then we walked over and the, well, we were walking to Three Lives and Company, but we got derailed uh, by a new store of, Mc, of McNally Jackson, which is uh, Goods for Study. And that's at 50 West 8th Street, which is a, it's an awesome stationery shop. Oh my God. And I heard yeah. one of the clerks uh, talking with another customer saying they just opened, I think, in December yeah. around uh, the holidays. Right. So it's a sister store to McNally Jackson. It's yeah. in a completely different neighborhood. And it was, um, then it's in a different neighborhood than McNally yeah, Jackson. Yeah, it's I like on say. the other side. Yeah, of, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's just journals and cards and pens, pens and Chris, pencils. Chris got to manhandle a beautiful bright red pen. <laughs> yeah, neat cards. Did you say cards? Yeah. yeah. Oh my God, I could have yeah. gone crazy in that yeah. store, but I knew we were. We still had two more to go, yes. so I, I, I yeah. maintained my composure. Yeah, that was so funny because we're all what there were six of us. Walking along the street, talking, 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 and all of a sudden it was like silence. Like, oh, we need to go in there because we all, I think, saw the show at the yeah, same time. It was so. great, yeah. yeah. And then we made our way to Three Lives and Company, and that was my first time there. And I've heard so much about the store. I know uh, Thomas Otto from the Readers talks about it as being mm-hmm. one of his favorites. Um, so, I, and it was bigger than I thought it would be. Everybody talked about it being this teeny tiny shop, and granted, it is smaller. Mm-hmm. I suppose it is then small. You're, yeah, it is yeah. small, but it seems so. It's That's their collection. It's, yeah. Oh my God, talk yeah. about like amazing curate curatorial yeah. selection. I don't know what the right word is yeah, to say about good. that, but I love a bookstore where I go in and they have newer or newish releases that I've never heard of and mm-hmm. haven't seen at other stores. Yeah. Because even sometimes really good indies. Sometimes you get the sense like, mm, yeah, I saw that book. Yeah. You know, like it's the same book sometimes. Yeah. I did not get that feeling there at all. No, it's an amazing. You just get the sense that every book on, you know, each book on the shelf was thought of through. You know, they yeah. really, yeah, it's it's very well curated. Yeah. And we went on a little spree, like four of us well, bought the same yeah. book. I was going to say, Emily, like, was hand-selling the heck out of this book. And, and the owner was there saying, like, oh, we need to maybe hire you. So what was the book that you were hand-selling for it's them? It's called Outline by Rachel Cusk. And um, I, I'm not, I, it's, it's too low on my stack. It's not even an upcoming read for me yet. But I know, um, I think four of us bought it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I only have, I didn't, because I, I was limiting myself. To, I was going to say one book at each store. Well, I ended oh. up buying two there. Yeah. So that one was, book. That's you know. pretty limiting. Well, you know, I had to carry it all home. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, I'm trying yeah. to like really work through my, my own books at home. Yeah. And then I have all these books on reserve at the library. You know, it's, I, I do you know. know. We all know, Chris. Writer, reader problems. <laughs> yeah, reader that's problems. Right. Yeah. But so we all walked out of there with some books mm-hmm. and then um, Jana and Jen split off and Kate and Chris and I took a nice walk um, over to McNally Jackson. McNally Jackson. Awesome store. Oh, gracious. Was that your first time there? Yeah, I'd never been there, there for sure. I was like, wow. Oh, what yeah. an amazing, amazing store. Yes. I mean, they have a great world literature selection. I mean, it's the only store I've ever been in in, in the States that had an Australia, New Zealand section. Mm-hmm. And mean, not a small one not either. Not a small one. It was a yeah. huge end cap. Um, yeah. with, it was Australia, New Zealand, and uh, Pacific Islands literature. You know, they then they had German, French, Middle East. Britain. Britain. I mean, yeah. Yeah, it was it amazing. Was great. I, I, I only had about, what, 20, 25 yeah. minutes to spend there, and then I had to uh, get back to, to catch the train home. 
I definitely want to go back there. Yeah, I stayed longer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Kate and Kate and Chris peeled off, and I probably stayed another hour. Yeah. It was a great store. They had an espresso book machine. Mm-hmm. For those of you who don't know, that's where they can print on demand yeah. certain books, not all books, obviously. Yeah. Um. They had a little cafe. That it, it was two story. There was a basement. Did you get down to the basement? I only went to the basement to hit the restroom. Okay. And then that's yeah. when I saw you on that landing when yeah. I was saying I all had right. to leave. And okay. Yeah, they had a great cookbook section. That's where I found the the um, best food writing mm-hmm. essay book. Um, they had um, in the basement they had journals and things like that. They didn't have a huge section of that, I, and I wonder now if it's because they've opened the second right. store, or something, yeah. which makes sense because that stuff takes up a lot of space. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had a little space de- dedicated to that, but really awesome store. They also had tons of literary journals. Yes, I have it, never seen a collection. I, like I grabbed that. one off the. It's the Happy Reader, the oh, Penguin, yeah, uh, UK journal, and and it had uh, Kristen Scott Thomas on the cover. And from far away, I thought it was David Bowie at first, <laughs> and then it was her. I was like, oh, I need to get that. Like, what a coincidence! We yeah. just read the English Patient, and then when I was on the train looking at it, there's a whole like thirteen little essays dedicated to Willa Cather's Old Pioneers. I was oh, like, perfect! Score. Didn't That's even amazing. notice that at first, so. Yeah. yeah, I've I've that's been always been one of my complaints at bookstores is that they don't have the literary journals and I love yeah. them. So I just I probably spent almost all the time you were there. I almost that, spent at yeah. the literary. I, journals. I think that's definitely yeah. an, an urban thing to mm-hmm. have those literary journals. I, I don't think most suburban stores do. I know like mm-hmm. Barnes and Noble and Borders early on tried to carry those in mm-hmm. their suburban markets, but I don't think it's people just it, don't I, pick them up. I don't think oh, people do. Yeah, huh. it's more of an urban. Well, I loved it. We had a great time. Yeah. It was one of our best joint jaunts yet, yeah. and it was because we were there and we had, you know, some oh, of our some other of our yeah, buddies, yeah, other book friends that are just as crazy yeah. as us walking across the city from store mm-hmm. to store. And Aunt Ellen was there for yes. a while. She came to yeah. the library and had lunch. She did. Yeah. yeah, she peeled off. She she. I don't think she wanted to go to three bookstores, but yeah, <laughs> she went home and read. So that's good. That's good. Which that's is sometimes good. what I want to do. I get into these bookstores and I'm like, I need to be reading. Oh, yeah. You know? But that day, man, it's, it felt like five minutes. Yeah. I really did. It went fast. I felt when I got on the train, I thought, I was just sitting here. Is how yeah. I felt. <laughs> so. Yeah, I was sorry you had to leave. Yeah. Um, it was, I do, I felt like it went really quickly. It did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it was a fun day, though. It and was. great weather. Yes. Warm. Yeah. Yeah, we were walking around, not. Yeah. I, I should say dry. I don't care if it's cold, but yeah. when you're doing a lot of walking around and stuff, and yeah. it's nice when it's dry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All Great. right. Upcoming adventures. Upcoming. Do you have any? You know what I do? I have a couple listed here. Um, This weekend I'm going to see a play, a Eugene O'Neill play, Moon for the Misbegotten. Mm-hmm. So that is a that's up at the Playhouse on Park. A theater in West Hartford. And now this is something I think you're going to be gone. Um, but our local library, the Guilford Library, is having an author event with Christine Woodside, who wrote Libertarians on the Prairie, which is uh, Laura Ingalls Wilder and her daughter. It's about them and their politics and the writing of Little House on the Prairie. Wow. Yeah. And I was just like, wow. When I, is that? That is March 2nd, Thursday. No, I'll be here. You'll be here? Okay, yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I want to go to see that. 
Um, then there's another, there's an event coming up March 7th at RJ Julia. Uh, the book is called, and it's a book that's coming out. I, I have an advanced reader copy I want to get to. It's by Natasha Friend, The Other F Word. It's a young adult oh. novel. And then the other thing that's coming up that's big is the New York Antiquarian Book Fair is March 9th through the 12th. And I want to go this year. I didn't make it last year, but I want to go in for the day to see that. That's in the Big Apple. That's in the Big Apple. It's at the um, Park Street, um, what do you call it? I can't think of the word, armory or something like that. Yeah, but it's right there in the city. And it's all of these, you know, antiquarian booksellers coming from all over the country. Maybe even the world. I'm not sure if it's international or just the United mm. States, but it's big. Mm. And they have books and other paraphernalia for collectors, but it's mainly dealing with books for the most part. Although one of the things for sale there is a set of building blocks that Albert Einstein played with to help stimulate his creativity. Wow. Yeah. Huh. And then there's like a cassette tape with an interview from Andy Warhol, I think it was, and... But so it's, is it it's like an books. auction or is it just like aisles and aisles of things? You know, it's aisles and aisles of vendors okay. with their stuff. And they're all vendors who do, well, they're not all vendors. A lot of the vendors do do auctions. Mm, I see. So, but yeah. I think it's, it's stuff that's strictly for sale, not so cool. much auction. From what yeah. I understand, I'm not 100% on that because I've never been. Yeah. So... Cool. That, yeah. well, what about you? Well, I've uh, got it. What's on your wish list? Yeah. <laughs> the day after at RJ Julia, on March 8th, Eleanor Lippman's going to be there. She has a new book out called On Turpentine Lane. Um, she wrote two books that I've already read called The View from Penthouse B and The Inn at Lake Divine. Hmm. So I enjoy her writing. Okay. She, she mixes a little bit of humor. Um, so I, I enjoy her. So I'm hoping to get there. I think it might be a Wednesday. Mm-hmm. It is. Cause yeah. I think I saw that. Yeah. It's, yeah Wednesdays. Though. Yeah. And then we have a reschedule of Minjin Lee Pachinko on March 27th yes. at Savoy. Right? Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. All right. So that's our upcoming jaunts yeah. that we're hoping to make. Upcoming reads. What, what's on your list? I have on audio "You'll Grow Out of It" by Jessie Klein. She's a, I think she's a famous comedian. I'd never heard of her. Um, this is a book of essays slash memoir, and um, it was recommended by Matthew Dix, the author Matthew Dix, when he was a guest on Roxanne Cody's podcast. Okay. This was a book that he talked about. And then I'm also re- going to read, hopefully, "News of the World" by Paulette Giles. This was a National Book Award nominee. Um, it's been compared to The Sun by Philip Meyer, which was one of my favorite reads of 2013. Mm-hmm. I would go as far as to say it was in my top five of 2013. Wow. That's commitment wow. for that me. That is commitment. <laughs> and, um, Write that title down, yeah. people. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, a little side note, I just found out, one of our friends posted this on Facebook, that The Sun is being made into a serialized um show on one of those oh. showtime or something and i oh, i just loved that book so much what was it about it's a it takes place in texas and it's from different um character point of views and it's um oh you caught me off um, it's okay sorry, sorry. Um, yeah i know it's been a while well it's a you know it's a family saga mm-hmm. of you know people who own land in texas and okay. that sort of thing but yeah. i can't remember more than that and then Thomas from The Readers recommended that I read Babette's Feast, mm. which I believe is a short story by Isaac Dennison. Is that okay. how you say your name? I'm not Isaac sure. Mm. Um, and then if once I read it, I will watch the movie, which he said I should love and I should have a glass of wine and sit and watch the movie. All so. right. Cool. Well, upcoming reads for me, I mentioned the F word. Um, 
And who's that by again? Natasha Friend. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I do want to read Barney the Vampire, which is another 19th century vampire story. It's a it was a Penny Dreadful, uh, published between 1845 and 1847, and that was by Thomas Peckett Prest, Barney the Vampire. And I believe that one. I think they did like stage adaptations of that one, if I'm mm. not mistaken, for my. Bram Stoker reading. I don't really remember. Um, and then I had two books come in at the library. You know how that happens. Yeah. Like you, you know, it's like, ah. <laughs> so choices, choices. Um, the Dry by Jane Harper came in. Mm. And that's a book I chose to read for the Australian Women Writers Challenge. So I'm looking forward to that. And that seems to be like a murder mystery type situation. And then the other book I just picked up on the way over here. It's uh, The title is Mrs. Sherlock Holmes. The True Story of New York City's Greatest Female Detective and the 1917 Missing Girl Case that Captivated a Nation. It's by Brad Ricca, and it is about a woman named Grace Humiston. She was a detective and a lawyer, and, you know, she was a real uh, go-getter, uh, one of those kick-ass women in history that you just don't hear about. And is this fictionalized or nonfiction? I believe this is fi- nonfiction. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, so what happened was this girl went missing. I read it. Well, I don't remember where I read about this. Uh, might have been like the New Yorker or something. Um, and this girl went missing, and the local police were like, "Oh, she probably met a guy and eloped." Well, you know, <laughs> yeah. So, but this is a girl who wasn't. You know, she didn't have secret boyfriends and all that kind of stuff. So she relentlessly pursued the, the case, and, and this is the story of that. I guess she pissed off a lot of the wrong people. Ooh, so, yeah. Interesting so, to hear what you think. Again, that's Mrs. Sherlock Holmes by Brad Ricca. Excellent. Like a good read. And then, okay, should we talk about other things? Sure. Like all the great authors coming to Booktopia? Right, so maybe we should remind people what Booktopia is. Booktopia is... <laughs> is our people yeah <laughs> it's a bunch of crazy book bookies i i per- personally have always thought it should be called nerdapalooza because <laughs> a bunch of people sitting around talking about books incessantly for three days yes yeah so booktopia again this was uh, started by ann and michael of books on the nightstand it originally started in partnership with the northshire bookstore in manchester vermont and they eventually started doing events all over the country and when Anna Michael uh, retired Booktopia, or they said it was going to be their last Booktopia, and then they retired the podcast, the Northshire Bookstore is continuing the tradition, and they had the first one without Anna Michael last year. You know, their their own Booktopia, they're carrying on the name, and this is happening again this May, and you can go to the Northshire Bookstore website. I know there are some tickets still available, and what it is, it's eight authors. Who come, they usually are authors who have a new book coming out, and readers try to read the books ahead of time. You don't have to read the books ahead of time, but if you can, great, because you have really intimate settings with the authors on these events where they're talking about their book, their writing process, their other books, the book itself, and it's just really great because in most of these sessions that you have with the authors, it's anywhere from like 20 to 50 people maybe at a time. And they, it, it's over two days, and so they set it up so that you'll be able to have a session with each author. You just have to kind of plot your day and time, which is a great thing, because sometimes with book conferences, 
you have to pick and choose and you always have to make those hard decisions of like, well, I can't see that person, you know, because I want to see that. Per it's not that kind of situation. You will get to have a session with each author. So no, you can't get to see everybody. Oh, I thought you could. The no. less because every time I've gone, I've been able to. Oh, really? So yeah. I thought you had to you get to see everybody Friday night and Saturday night. But the breakout sessions, I thought usually you had to kind of decide between some, but maybe I'm not yeah, remembering. I don't know. I've, well, I've gone to just the three at, at Northshire, and I've been able to see everybody by okay. kind of scheduling it out that okay. way. Yeah. Because okay. usually the author, I think they have two events on Saturday, or, well, what is this going to be, Friday and Saturday? Like, mm -hmm. they have two events one day and two the next yeah. day, I think. So, like... Oh, they spread it out. They spread it out okay. that way. Right. Yeah, yeah, maybe it was different yeah. at other okay. booktopias. Yeah, so no, you're right. And you know what? The schedule hasn't been released yet for this year. So, who knows? Yeah. I could be, you know, misleading you all. Sorry. No, I'm sure you're not. <laughs> but they have great authors, so... Yes. Do you want me to list yes, who we please. have? Okay. And these are kind of... Be ready, everybody. Your reading yeah. list is about to grow. Yeah, it is. So uh, one of the big books that's getting a lot of talk already is Lillian Fishbach Takes a Walk, and that's by Kathleen Rooney. That is a book that's out now. It's getting a lot of great buzz going around. Um, and she is married to Martin C., who wrote The Mirror Thief, who was a booktopian author last year. Right. And I'm really excited about this because they're both Chicago writers, so I feel like, yay, Chicago. So again, that's Lillian Fishbach Takes a Walk, out now. Next up is a book we've talked about, um, Books for Living by Will Schwalbe. Yeah, Schwalbe? he's, he's yeah. going to be so fun to have a booktopia because yeah. he's just such a... Uh, approachable person yeah. so that's really fun yeah. and what was his other book the end of your life book club okay. yeah that was his his first book yeah so he will be there books for living that's out now uh, another book that is out now this is the impossible fortress jason rakulak rakulak that's out now i don't know him i don't no, know the don't book know looking forward to learning about that this is uh the next up is the world to come it's a collection of short stories by jim shepherd and that is a collection that's out now. And I noted on my little card here that he teaches at Williams College. Now coming up, we have four more books. These are all coming out soon. The first is Celine by Peter Heller. That comes out March 7th. Peter Heller has been at many Booktopias. He's a lovely, lovely man. And his books are really good. He's, he's written, I shouldn't say many. He's been to two. He's written The Dog Stars and The Painter. Uh -huh. Yeah. Did you read those? Or I did. You? Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, then next we have Our Short History by Lauren Grodstein. This comes out March 21st. She's had four other novels, and I, I haven't read her mm -hmm. or heard of her, so mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to learning yeah. about her. Then this is a book I was ex really excited about. It just caught my eye the night before because this author is going to be at R.J. Julia. Uh, the book is the, Woman, the Women in the Castle, and that's Jessica Shattuck. Shattuck? That book releases March 28th, and it's a historical fiction about three women widows at the end of World War II living in a castle somewhere in Bavaria. And I said she's going to be at R.J. Julia, yeah, right? We'll have to yeah, look up the date. Yeah, she's going to be there that Sunday of Booktopia. Oh, so she must be leaving Booktopia oh, wow. to come down we to R.J. We can give her a ride. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> and then last but not least is The Leavers by Lisa Coe. And that is releasing March 2nd, or sorry, May 2nd. May 2nd. May 2nd. Okay. So, oh, and right Booktopia starts like the 4th or the 5th. Yeah. So, um, Booktopians will have to read fast yeah. if they want to. You know, the, the I haven't always read all the books for Booktopia mm. events. 
just because usually I don't plan ahead very well. It's so nice to reading. be a rebel. Yeah. Uh, see, I'm an upholder. Oh, I read them all. See, <laughs> as soon as I start, like, I have to read this, then I don't want to read it. Like, rebel. It's, it's rebel. crazy. Yeah. yeah. Well, I like, I mean, the thing to know about Booktopia is there's a rule that they there can be spoilers. So oh, the yes. conversations that take place in the rooms, the assumption is mm-hmm. that everyone has read the book. Yeah. And if, you know, you cannot read it, but then you might hear things you don't want to hear. Mm-hmm. And um, that's just kind of a, a, an agreement that has been struck by the board of Booktopia, yeah. <laughs> whoever's in charge, yeah. which I think is fair. I you think know? it is, too. Yeah. It's just like yeah. a book group. Yeah. I can't stand yeah. being in a book group where somebody's like, oh, I didn't finish the book. You can't talk about yeah. it. It's yeah. like, oh, yeah. shut up and leave. I know. Because yeah. you know what? You this made is a book choice. Group. You yeah. made a choice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I do usually read. Now there have there have been a, a couple times where I I didn't, and usually it's because like that one where it's released three days ahead or something. It's like come on. Yeah. Now sometimes you check the the Northshire um, website because there have been times where they release early yeah. to Booktopians. Yeah, they yeah. did that with Martin C's book last yeah. year. They did that. Yeah, they let people have it early, and that was his very first author event. Was Booktopia, which is cool. Like, how, what a great experience for an author because an author and to be surrounded by what, like 80 people who are all seriously gung ho book readers who love authors, it Mm -hmm. would be a great first place to go to an event because I've hosted so many events with first time authors who nobody shows up to the book signing or like one person does and it's their mom. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I've been to enough events where authors talk about that where they're like, you know, lots of times we're traveling across the country to empty metal chairs, Mm -hmm. you know. Absolutely. um, I thought about that when I went to Brunonia Berry that night because it was, we had this strange like snowy evening that wasn't supposed to happen, but it was, there were plenty of people. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was, there's a space in RJ that's a little bit more intimate and so I think that's really nice too because you don't feel like you're in a big room with a bunch of empty chairs. Yeah. So there yeah. were probably, you know, 15 of us, which isn't huge, but it was, mm-hmm. it didn't feel like, you know, there weren't many people there. Right. But yeah. Booktopia is, you know, 80 or 90 people. And mm-hmm. so they really do, every place they go through the whole weekend is filled with readers who want to talk to them, you mm-hmm. know. So the, and the other thing to know is if you go to the Northshire website and look at the Booktopia information, they also have information about housing. You know, you have to sign up to go to the event. The Saturday night event is free and will take place at the bookstore and all the authors will be there. Mm-hmm. But if you want to participate in the full schedule of events for the weekend, you need to sign up. Yeah. And, um, and seats are limited, but they do yeah. have tickets still available yeah. as of this recording yeah. anyway. And they also, so they have, um, there's different places you can stay in Manchester, which is a cool mm-hmm. little town with Called great shopping, great restaurants. Yeah. The and bookstore it, itself, you could spend a weekend in, I yeah, swear, absolutely. without any authors. Yeah. <laughs> and they have a really cool modern library. That was right. just completed a year ago, two years ago at the most. I know the first time I went up to Manchester that was under construction. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. lots to do. It could yeah. be a really fun weekend for people and mm-hmm. their friends. Absolutely. So. And the other thing I will say is if you if you don't have someone to go with, you will not be lonely. Right. There's, it's a very welcoming group of people. Mm-hmm. And um, I, the first one I went to, I didn't know anybody. And by the end of it, I had 10 new friends, I think. Yeah. So. You know, who are still my friends who I met in New York last week. Yeah. So there you have it. It's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> it is. I mean, there's something about that book connection. I suppose it's like with the knitters, too. Like when you meet another knitter or another woodworker or whatever your hobby and passion mm-hmm. is, there's this instant connection Yeah. that kind of washes away any differences you might have, at least yeah. for a while, and you just get joined together by that common love. 
Yep. Well said. We can end right there. All right. <laughs> That's why we're friends, Chris. Yay. It is why we're friends. Yeah. Thanks to yeah. Ann and Michael. Yes, exactly. All right. All right, All right well, everybody. Well, happy reading. Happy reading. Thanks, as always, for listening. Yeah, and if you're looking for us, you can find us on Twitter at Book Cougars, Facebook at Book Cougars. If you have anything you want to share, please feel free to email us at bookcougars at gmail.com. And if you're listening to us on iTunes and like to leave a review, we'd appreciate it. It helps other people find us. Thanks, everybody. Happy reading, everybody. Bye.